best friends and next door neighbors, Willow and Lillian, spill the tea on murder, mysteries, and other things that go bump in the night. So get your favorite teacup ready and let's get into it. Welcome to Cruelty Podcast. This is Lillian, and with me is Willow for Survivor Month. Hi. Hi, that's our theme. Yes, yes, yes. And this is the first episode yes. of our theme. Yes, it is. I'm really pumped about this one in particular. This month is, it has been the most exciting to research. I am for sure. I was so excited um, to like prepare my calendar for the month and you know get ready for each case coming up. Like, I got books to read. Girl, this is just so exciting. To it me. is. It's so, super good. I really hope y'all are excited as much as we are. It's kind of a. I don't know. It's kind of a break because I'll, I'll tell you all the murder get to you after a minute well and here a lot of these cases like honestly the the ones that survive it's like well shit now now you have your whole rest of your life you have to deal with the trauma and the healing and all of that a lot of times especially like people like in um like um that deal with crime scenes and law enforcement and doctors and people like that um it's almost like you know, there's a certain level of peace in in some of these cases when the person passes away and doesn't have to deal with the aftermath. I mean, so I can see that. I, for sure. I just put it, put that into perspective because this month is really hard because we are dealing with the trauma that happened. You know and, what I mean? Yeah, and so I, I want to really just want to like like warn everybody ahead of time. Like, there's a lot of trigger warnings on these. Oh, cases. here we go. You know I was just I mean? about to say that. I'm yeah, like, I'm not yeah. going to do the voice because my voice is weird today. But <laughs> um, you know, listener discretion is advised please do not listen to this in front of your kiddos Mm -hmm. if you are sensitive about like blood and gore and injury and assault and assault yeah this is not an episode for you please don't traumatize yourself yeah and i'll give trigger warnings before i talk about certain things as well um if you want to listen to the story yeah yeah just hit the 15 second a couple times um but yeah so a long time ago, I, I, our podcast is a year old, but it feels like forever ago. Uh, when we first started doing the podcast, one of our very first Patreon episodes was the Mary Vincent case. And this case that we're about to cover tonight um, is brought up a lot with the Mary Vincent case. They're very similar. Yeah. Um, so on Patreon, we're not going to like... Um, upload it to any of the normal platforms. But on Patreon, we are going to re-release the uh, Mary Vincent case just to kind of go with the theme, I guess. Um, it's, it's hard to dig. We have over 100 episodes on Patreon right yeah, now. Yeah. And it's hard to dig through all of those to find the content. So I'm just going to yeah, knock yeah. it on up to the top there. Yeah. And um, like anytime you research like or you hear of the case that I'm covering today, Allison Botha, um, you're going to hear people that get them confused. Yeah. So I really wanted to kind of just put the two episodes next to each other so they kind of, uh, you can you can see the... And also in these, y'all, I want you to pay attention to the description box because it will have links to these people's books. Yes. Places yes, you can you. donate yeah. to for mm-hmm. domestic abuse survivors and mm-hmm. other 
survivors of violence. Yes, and, and this one in particular yeah. has a lot of links. So at the end of the episode, I'll kind of go over what those are um, briefly. But yeah. yeah, there's a ton of links in this episode. So be and there. I will do a brief business time at the beginning. And it's one thing. Please join our Discord. We want to talk to you. Especially, and you'll, yeah, you'll find that on our link tree, which will be in the sea of links at the end of this episode. Absolutely. Links and links that's and links. all the business there is. Let's get into the let's get into it. Yeah. So this is um, the story of Allison Botha. This is um, also called the Ripper Rapist, also called the Nordhoek um, Ripper Trial. This is a case from South Africa, and Nordhoek is like a beach, like a small beach town, um, basically in Cape Town. So, right. um, South Africa. Yeah, this is this is a really brutal case. Um, but man, before we get into it, I just like the. It was a it was a breath of fresh air for the South African accents. I just gotta say, like, well, they're fun. We we do have some listeners from South Africa, and y'all, I I could listen to y'all talk all day. <laughs> cool, um, yeah, for real. But yeah, big big trigger warning on this case. We're gonna talk. We're gonna get into some really, and I and I I just want to talk about the injuries in detail, just because this is such a miraculous recovery. It, it just it boggles me. I'm almost speechless, but I have to, you know speak <laughs> but Alison Botha she was born September 22nd 1967 in Port Elizabeth South Africa she describes the town that she grew up in as a small town where nothing happens calm quiet a perfect place to raise to for a kid to grow up and to raise a family her parents were divorced when she was 10 um, but she ended up spending like the entire time evenly between both parents she had an idyllic um, upbringing love everywhere love in the family she had a younger brother it was it was great um but she never had that thing that she was good at she never had that thing that she was driven to do she was always looking for her you know inspiration in life but she never really found it she always kind of described herself as just a, a normal person just a normal girl yeah um she didn't really excel in school but she was head girl at her school so like I don't I don't she always like says that she didn't really do that much in school but if she was head girl like she gotta be some you know I don't know she had some social aptitude she she, she was important to people in their lives um whether she saw that at a young age or not I think that people thought that she was important um she went on to school to become a secretary and um, just basically did all the things, like went to college for the things that you do. You know, she, she followed the rules. She did what she thought she should do, but it wasn't anything that she was passionate about. Um, after school, after college, she actually went and traveled the world, um, like mostly in Europe. She was supposed to just go for a vacation for a year, and that year ended up being like four years. And Damn. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't really talk much about her travels. I think she just kind of like went around and looked at things. Um, but her mother was worried sick. Uh, <laughs> and the whole time her mom was on like pins and needles waiting for her daughter to come home. And as soon as she got home from this trip... It was like she saw the sigh of relief in her mother's, like in her mother's face that, okay, now my daughter's home. And this sigh of relief from this like 
vacation abroad that really had no meaning in her life. The sigh of relief when she got back had a really eerie feeling when you look back on her life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was it's, just thinking that. Honestly. Yeah, it's that It's that um, hindsight is twenty twenty, and a lot of times it's like, oh, it's eerie when it's twenty twenty. Um but yeah, shortly after she got back, she got settled in. She really didn't, she was just doing her normal everyday life. By this time, she's 27, and it is December, so it's summertime there. And um, this is 1994. She had a beautiful day at the beach. She didn't know what she wanted to do that day. She didn't really fucking care. She just got up. She hung out with the friends that got a hold of her you know she literally just went with the flow of things and she had a beautiful day at the beach she got sun kissed she um excuse me she went back to her place with her friends they hung out they ate pizza she had a great night she had a great night and then one of her friends needed a ride home. She happened to be doing laundry at her friend's house. Like, her laundry was going while they were hanging oh, yes, out. I don't know how that is. Um, exactly. So, um, so, yeah, she brought her friend home and, you know, picked up her laundry in doing so. And then she drives back to her apartment. And by the time she gets back in that little bit of time that it took for her to drop her friend off and gather her laundry, someone had taken her parking spot. And she was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when somebody takes your parking spot, a lot of times now you have to park in like some shitty fu- fucking place, like way up the road, which is what she had to do. She had to like park up the road from her apartment and, you know, carry all of her laundry. She's going to be like really frustrated about that. Um, she parked her car she leaned over because her car was in the or her laundry was in the passenger side door she leans over and she's going to get her laundry when she feels warmth on the opposite side of her and it's her car door had opened Mm. she all of a sudden without realizing what had happened she felt a knife to her throat and a person said, move over or I'll, ki- or I'll kill you. So she did. <laughs> she moved over. And the man jumps in the car in the driver's side and he begins driving. He tells her he doesn't want to hurt her. He just needs the car. He makes up this bullshit story saying that, you know, um, some guy owes me money. I'm just going to go get it real quick and you, you won't be harmed. Um, so she is absolutely scared stiff, like absolutely scared stiff. Um, she's kind of in freeze mode and he begins talking and just being very calm. And he starts just like trying to carry on a conversation, ask her if she has a boyfriend, of course. Um, she kind of, because the conversation is so light and casual, her muscles kind of, Relax, and she's able to kind of process what's happening. Calm down. Calm down. Yeah. And she thinks, well, maybe this guy really is just a carjacker. Like, maybe he'll just take my car and leave me alone. Maybe everything will be okay. Like, this guy is really putting off the vibes and everything's going to be fine. Then he says that he just needs to pick up a friend. He pulls over, and another man gets in the car and sits in the back seat. He introduces himself as Tien's. 
Allison said that she turned, um, she glanced up in the rearview mirror. And when she did, she saw his eyes. And his eyes were just black, pure evil, just soulless. Yeah, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. She said, it, and it was then that it dawned on her that she wasn't going to be going home. Oh, that's so scary. They drove past the last streetlight. They continued driving and driving and driving. And after the last streetlight, she knew that she was completely out of town. She was far away from any other human being that was going to hear her. She was alone in the dark with these two guys. Then they stopped. The, they pulled over um, into an alcove. Um, remember, this is like a little beach town. Right. So there's like these like little alcoves that you can pull off to that you can like walk down to the beach. walk down to the yeah, beach yeah. from. They have those um, in California too. Really? Yeah. Cool. Um, I've never lived in a coastal area, so I don't really know how things are. I know how it is with lakes and stuff, but um, they pulled the car over. They stopped. They turned off the engine. And the man turned to her and said, well, are you going to fight? Oh, God. And she's like, fight? Like, how, how am I going to fight? Like, she's thinking this. She's, like, completely frozen in fear. But she's like, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Um, no armed. Yeah. So the man in the back seat with the soulless eyes, he got out of the car to smoke a cigarette. While the man in the car, who had introduced himself as Clinton, um, he advanced on Allison. Now, this is a trigger warning because we're about to discuss a sexual assault. Something that I do want, a topic that I do want to touch on, is the type of assault or the type of attacker that he is. Um, When he begins this assault, um, he is being he's acting not like he's assaulting her he's acting gentle he's her fucking boyfriend or something he is he well he starts out saying like does your boyfriend do this to you blah 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 but he starts out with foreplay he starts um like complimenting her body very like specifically like the way that she tastes the way that she looks the way that she feels and he progress through this assault he you know goes on to like completing and everything but throughout the entire experience he's doing it in a way that he would do to a girlfriend or a a way that somebody who cared about you would um would do these things in the way that somebody who cared about you would touch you and the way that you know worse somehow it is no it is and this is a tactic um i in in the research I stumbled across a very disgusting term that I'm really going to have a hard time saying, but I think it's important to talk about, is what's called a gentleman rapist. Yeah, I've heard of it. Absolutely fucking gross, but it's it's this form, it's part of this game that he's playing. He's not a gentleman. <laughs> he doesn't fucking no, care obviously. about her. Absolutely not. Um, but he's playing the part of somebody who does, so that way her body relaxes. That way she's more able to be manipulated and it's kind of a cat and mouse game. It's fun. It's fun to manipulate for him. Um, It's disgusting. It's it's disgusting what what they do because they're playing, you know, almost like good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Where one is really... I I was going to ask that next. One's the nice guy, one's the mean guy. No, they're both really fucking evil. Yeah. They're both really, really bad people. But he's playing this... um, almost like this 
manipulative game with her. And another thing to touch on is that she she talks a lot about this in all of um, her speeches that she does today. And so um, I think it's also very important to touch on because I feel like a lot of people who do get assaulted, um, their bodies react to the assault. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Automatically. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. It's Without not like, conscious thought. It's not like you're turned on. No. It, that doesn't... No, 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 no. This is what your body is doing as a as a protective defense mechanism. Well, if you're being penetrated by something uh, and it's in, you know, your vagina, it will, to protect itself from injury, yes, lubricate itself. Yes, And it's the same way with the other holes as well. But, you know, it's like... Um, I know she felt this way, and I know a lot of people feel this way. I know that I've felt this way. I felt that way. Um, and, you know, both you and I were children when it happened to us. So we can't we can't understand that. Yeah, um, I was an adult, too. Like, well, yeah. Yeah, my body just yeah, did absolutely. the thing. I absolutely. didn't want it to. Right. And she really did feel like in that moment her body was betraying her. I did feel like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Because I wanted it to be uncomfortable for them like it was for me. Right. Like, like you should feel like sandpaper if you don't like it, right? I wanted it to be the Sahara. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. guess to, it ended up, you know, protecting me from injury. But Yeah. And I got to appreciate my body for doing that. For yes. Me. Also, another thing that happens, not that it's a good thing or whatever, but... Um, a lot of times when our bodies react this way, the way that the perpetrator wants it to react, they are less angry and more satisfied. Yes. You know what I mean? And so a lot of times less this could save people. Yeah, this, yeah. So obviously not saying that's a good thing, but. But yeah. if you have been assaulted and your body reacted that way. Yes. Your body didn't betray you. You are not bad. Yes. Don't feel guilty about yes. it. Your it's body still an it. assault. It is. It's still an assault. Even if you had an orgasm. Yes. And that happens Absolutely. too. And I just want people listening to that to not to blame themselves or mm-hmm. feel gross or any of that yeah. anymore. Maybe I did enjoy it. No, you didn't. No. You didn't want it. Your no. body did that to protect you. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. So don't feel bad. Yeah. Please. Yes. <laughs> I, know. I really try not to cry, but I really thought that it was a very... No, it's really important. It, it's something on. that nobody really told me, and I know no that told nobody me told me, and yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about it even with our friends, you know, because no, yeah. why would you fucking want to? No, yeah. You don't. You it's, just want to forget it. You don't want to fucking talk about it's it. It's not the funnest thing to talk about. No. And when you when you're with your friends and people that you love. And hey, y'all, this isn't this is not easy for me to to listen to. No. But it is important to talk about, and so I will put aside my personal like I'm triggered by it. Sure. Same. Yeah. But I'm gonna put it aside because that information is really important for you, the listener, to hear. Mm-hmm. And especially if you are assigned female at birth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that rape cannot happen to men. Of course it can. Yeah. Of course it yeah. can. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad that we talked about it, though, because uh, it feels good for me to at least try to reassure any listener out there that could have been in our situations. Um, you know. Um, but moving forward, after this assault took place, uh, the man that is outside of the car smoking a cigarette he realizes that they're done. He calls to the man in the car and he says, Franz. And so oh, that's like, his real well, name. OK, <laughs> not Clinton, huh? Um, and later on, on reflection, she thinks or a lot of people think that he probably got the name Clinton from Bill Clinton because he was president at the time. That's gross. Yep. Um, 
but yeah so his name is Franz and the other guy's name is Tins and um, so Allison makes this quick mental note right and then as soon as he's like yeah you know we're done um, Tins opens the car door and Franz said very politely oh would you like to have sex with the lovely lady God Tins said no I want to fuck the bitch Franz said, you can't speak to her like that. She's a lady. You must speak to her properly. This is disgusting. Do you see what they're doing? Yeah, I do. do you see, and it really did confuse her in this moment. She really did get confused. And it just makes me even that much more mad. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, yes, because they're playing a fucking game. Um, but before she realized it, before she realized what was happening, um, Tien's had, had his hands around her throat and was strangling her. She lost her bowels. She lost her consciousness. She completely blacked out. And when she came to, this is when the biggest trigger warning happens. So when she came to... Uh, what's the biggest trigger warning? Oh, this is right now. No, what is oh, it? What oh, is this, the, is, this, is, this is this is a, an extreme assault. Okay, so sexual assault, violence. Violence. All that's very, injury, very all that's violence. All right, y'all. Um, when she comes to, they are stabbing her in the stomach and in the pubic area. My God. Over and over and over again. As they're stabbing her, they're talking to each other about specifically aiming for her reproductive organs. When they had worn themselves out, when they were physically tired of stabbing, both of them, they started to walk away. As they're walking away, they notice that Allison's foot involuntarily twitches. Oh, no. And so they realize she is not dead. So Tien's began slashing her neck. After an excessive amount of stabs, he grew tired and handed the knife to Franz. Franz took the knife and started stabbing her in the neck and chest area as well. This is a quote from Allison later on. She says, All I could see was an arm moving about my face, left and right, left and right. His movements were making a sound, a wet sound. It was the sound of my flesh being slashed open. He was cutting my throat with the knife again and again and again, and it felt unreal, but it wasn't. I felt no pain. It was not a dream. This was happening. Her eyes stayed slightly open the whole time as she waned in and out of consciousness. She said that as Franz was stabbing her, the street light that shone above him shone like a halo around his head. And she just really focused on that halo around his head as she lay there. And then the two became worn out and speaking in Afrikaans, they talked to each other about how no one could have survived this. She has to be dead. There's no way that she's not dead. And they joked at each other and they walked off to the car, her car. And as they're speeding off, they throw all of her clothes out the window at her body. Pieces of shit. And they peel away. Now Allison is alone. She's on the side of a road in an alcove, sand, dirt. And she can't feel her pain yet. All she can hear is this really 
awful, gross, gargling sound. And it's the sound of her breathing. She's breathing through her severed trachea. God. She realizes, she collects herself, she realizes what's going on, and I believe she's probably very overwhelmed at this, Um, not to put it lightly, but something happens at this moment, and her, she describes it as her soul leaving her body. She says everything goes silent, piercing silent, and all of a sudden she was up above her body looking down. She saw what, she saw the mess of what was left of her lying naked, alone, bloody, dying in the middle of nowhere. Some stranger was going to find her like this. Like, what about her mom? Like, what about how her mom would feel about her baby girl being found in this state? Discarded like trash on the side of the road. She felt the tether to her body and realized that she had the decision to make still, that she wasn't necessarily actively dying right now. Like she had the decision to either go and be without pain and be at peace or to stay and to fight. And she felt that she really did have that decision at that moment, right then and there. And she thought about not just her mom, but she also thought about all the countless women out there that these men could be hurting. Yeah. And so she decided to stay. She made that conscious decision. And as soon as she did, she let go and she was right back. Ready to fight. Or at least try. And her first goal above anything else in her like process of what she needed to do. Her first goal was to make sure that these men were caught. These men were known about. And the only thing that she could figure out to do was to write their names in the sand next to her body. So she kind of gets into whatever position she can put herself in and writes Franz, Tien's, And then she writes, I love mom. Oh, baby. Because she wanted anybody that found her to know what was happening in her last moments. That these were her perpetrators, but she wanted everybody to know that her mom was a good woman. She loved her mama. Absolutely. She laid there to gather herself, and then as she's starting to, like, feel like get sensory back and kind of feel her body. She feels something wet, kind of heavy, sitting on her legs. Mm. She reaches down and she realizes that the thing laying on her legs was her intestines. Jesus Christ. She had been completely disemboweled. She felt around for her denim jacket that was laying next to her. The part of the articles that they had thrown out of the car, her denim jacket was right there. So she grabbed her denim shirt and she held it to her stomach. She begins looking around, gathering her surroundings. She's like, you know, kind of making a mental note of where she's at physically. 
and she sees headlights kind of shine up and around and she kind of realizes, okay, the road's that way. You know, that's where I need to go. I need to get to the road because if anything, if I can get to the road, someone can find me and I can get to safety. So she begins trying to crawl. This proves itself ineffective almost immediately. Um, she like pretty much blacks out and has to come back to um, because crawling exerted way too much energy for her. She couldn't do that. She knew that if she was going to get to the road, she was going to have to walk on two feet. God. She's naked. She's disemboweled. She grabs her denim jacket and she somehow is able to gather up her insides with this denim jacket, hold it to her body with, with her hands, and she stands up. I mean, it wasn't that quick. Obviously, it was one of the hardest things she's ever done in her life, but she was able to get on her feet. When she stands up, she notices she's still looking at the stars. Her eyesight hasn't changed upon standing. Oh, my God. She thought she had blacked out, um, but she realized, no, like, I'm, I'm still conscious. Then she reaches her hand up to kind of touch her eyes to see, like, why, like, why is my vision like this? And she reaches up and her hand goes into the wound on her neck. She realizes that her head is sitting on her shoulder blades. It's all the way back. Oh, my God. They had several. I don't know how she survived. I know. I know. And I'll get into all of like what the doctor saw um, and exactly what is happening right now. It's fucking truly amazing. They had severed her muscles. So she no longer had the muscles to hold her head up. So with one hand holding her insides, her intestines, the other hand came up and held her head into place. And just like that, she began walking to the road. Now, her walking from this position to the road, um, it's a, a few yards away. She cannot tell you exactly how she did it. Um, her soul left her body again, kind of. And it literally felt like somebody was picking her up, like almost like she was like floating effortlessly to the road. Shock is wild. Shock is a fucking trip. Um, so I definitely understand. But she did get to that road. She walked to that road. And when she got to the road, that was basically her safe point. She collapsed. In the middle of the road. And she did it. She she did it. She's proud of herself, as she should be. She yes. made it. She made it. And she thought, you know, well, I'm in the center of the road. Um, if any car comes, they're going to see me. Mm-hmm. And if they ro- run over me, well, then, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, at like, that point, you're, at that like, point, you're like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, but she did. She laid there, and a car did come. And this car stopped to kind of look at her and she thought oh fuck it's Franz and Tien's. can you imagine Mm-mm, I don't wanna 
it wasn't. Um, It wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. Um, No, they actually went off and partied. Um, This car, very much like the Mary Vincent case, saw. It was horrible, and and they were terrified and and drove off immediately, like sped off. Um, And a lot of people dragged them for this. They're probably kids. And you don't know what was going through their mind. I mean, she... You don't know what they saw either in the dark. She could have looked like, a, like an animal or something. Yes. You know, like she she was no, very... She was mutilated. Very badly beat. Yes, yes. So they did... I'm not going to drag nobody. No. I haven't been through an experience like that. Right. I don't know how I would react. Right, right. I'd like to think I would recognize it as a person in help, but they may not have. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. Um, a few minutes later, another car approaches, and this car contained a few miracles. First main miracle was a man named Tian... Um, I'm going to butcher his last name. Tian Eilard. Eilard um, he was a veterinary student from uh, Johannesburg. He was on vacation with friends, and he was actually... Little did anybody know. He was battling the um, discernment of, like, whether or not he was going to stay in veterinary school or go on to become a doctor. This made him go on. (laughs) I know. I'm, like, about to cry already. (laughs) I know it's bad. Um, But, yes, so he already knew. I mean, he went through veterinary school. He knows anatomy. And so he knew enough um, to perform in an emergency situation. Um, so Tian went to um, Allison while one of his friends in the car, again, this is 1994, one of the friends in the car had a cell phone. Absolutely that unheard is a of. miracle. This is a huge miracle um, because, yeah, nobody had cell phones at that time. I had one in my car around that time. They had car phones. I know that. It was a car Mm -hmm. phone, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I could take it out, but you, like, kept it in the little holder for the most part. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Which, I mean, come on, let's bring that back. Like, that's fucking awesome. I can't lose my phone. That's great. Um, Oh, I lost it anyway. (laughs) Long story. We'll go there. So, um... The one guy calls uh, for an ambulance while Tian, um, not to be misconstrued with Tian's, completely different spelling on these words. Um, He literally tucked her organs back in. He knows anatomy. He knows exactly what to do. I'm talking all of the shit that was going on with her neck, her uh, like abdominal organs, all all of the things. He tucked back into place. That saved your life for sure. Absolutely. Um, he also, like, as soon as he saw her, he took off his shirt and covered her for her decency. And I just really thought that that was sweet. Um, and he, she, she was responsive in a way, but she was unable to speak, obviously. Right. So he grabbed her hand and though her eyes were completely bloodshot, I mean, absolutely bloodshot pure red um he held her hand and he said you have lovely eyes and she blinked and he realized that she could she could blink she could understand him she was cognitive enough to carry on a conversation so he stood there and you know kept eye contact with her they say to keep him talking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what he did and they had a series of squeezes like one for yes two for no um that she could answer his questions by and now, 
the ambulance, the, the hospital was like 15 minutes away. It took emergency personnel 45 minutes to get to her. Jeez, gosh. They thought she was dead already. The way it was described, she They just assumed she was no, dead. yeah. And the whole way there, um, Tian went with her and held her hand throughout the entire ride. And he even was like, why are they going so fucking slow? They thought they were going to deliver a corpse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they didn't want to have all that setup that you do. There's different setups when I you know get to the hospital. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like they were just doing their job kind of thing. Um, but just punching the clock yeah. on that one. Tian told them to hurry the fuck up, and they did. Um, it got them to drive faster. And when they wheeled Allison into casualties, he had to finally let go of her hand. And I think that in that moment that he let go of her hand and had to watch her be escorted into the into the you know responsibility of other doctors and other surgeons, I think in that moment, he realized that's what he wanted to do. He yeah. wanted to be those guys saving her life. I mean, I know that he saved her life from this point. He wanted to keep going. He wanted to keep going. And I think that that was a very good visual for him to send him on his career path later on. So this entire interaction completely changed his life. Amazing. Mm-hmm. The surgeons that were involved, um, uh, surgeon Alexander Angelov and anesthesiologist David Common, these two men absolutely amazing absolutely amazing men um surgeons always blow my damn mind oh my god fucking phenomenal i know it and so uh alexander angel angelov was specifically an ear ear nose throat throat specialist um but he was trained in austria i believe so he was actually trained in like all surgeries um so he performed her neck first and then her stomach area but um both of them uh dr common um he was more of an emotional man you can see him like tear up whenever he talks about it he has more of an emotion emotional side to him um dr angelov has more of like a very strict and factual base but both men are very like men of science they didn't believe in miracles until allison and yeah she should not have lived she changed their lives she softened them she made them so I don't know. She she really really changed these men's life, and I I, I it, I'll I'll link everything. But there's an amazing documentary that uh, I just want to take it aside just to remind you guys that there's an amazing documentary called Allison. Um, everybody in this case is in there, and it's basically a movie. It's not like your normal boring documentary. Um, it is it is a film. And the reenactments are amazing. Very, very good. Very well made. And you can see the the surgeons talking about every little thing that they did to Allison and to help her with her recovery. It's amazing. But um, David Common, the, the first, the anesthesiologist was the first one to really look her over um, before the surgeon came into the room. And so he first observed her neck because she's covered in a sheet so all he can see is her neck kind of chest area he counted seven oh um trigger warning we're going to talk about what the doctor saw on her body okay so this is this is a lot of gore yeah important though um he counted 17 slit marks to her throat alone her trachea was severed but cut clean 
and intact enough that she could breathe through a gaping hole in between her collarbones. Which I... I just think that this is an amazing thing that happened. And not that it's good, but the, the placement. The placement on this cut is exactly where you would put... Um, a tracheotomy. A tracheotomy, yeah. It's exactly where it goes. Um, so I think that part's amazing. Um, her esophagus was undamaged. Her neck muscles had been sliced, but her arteries and all the blood vessels and major nerve endings that supplied blood and information to her brain completely missed. Wow. Somehow her neck was completely obliterated except for the major parts that kept her alive. Um, she had several stab wounds to her chest, somehow missing her heart and her lungs. And then um, one of the nurses that was, you know, there to support the doctors, they took down the, um, the blanket, the dressing sheet, and that's when he saw what had happened to her abdominals, abdominal area. He basically, at first, whenever he first saw Allison, he thought he was just going to do, um, you know, her neck area. So he actually was in the middle of, like, getting ready for that when they took the blanket down and he saw that. So he was like, oh, okay, this is bigger than we thought. Um, her intestines were laying on top of her stomach. They were completely covered in sand and gravel and dirt oh and broken glass, bits of charcoal from, like, you know, beach fires and parties. 37 stab wounds. 37. To both her abdominal area and her pubic region, somehow missing all of her major organs. That's, I don't understand, but wow. And she was, she was small. Like she was, she was a smaller built woman. Like, I don't know how the knife didn't puncture those organs. Um, that's over like 56, I think 54 stab wounds. Dr. Angelov said that in his 16 years as a doctor, he had never seen anyone with such severe injuries. He said that when he first saw Allison, the first thing he noticed was the amount of absolute cruelty that it took place in such, with, to make such wounds on a human being. He said that it was the cruelty that stood out most. Yeah. Before they could perform um, the surgery, they needed Allison to sign a release form, which she did. She signed it in perfect pen penmanship. She even put down her mom's name and phone number just in case. Like, it just goes to show the added strength. Like, the assault took about an hour. It took about an hour for them to get there. It took about an You know, like, this is like three hours after all of this. And least, she's still yeah. able to write with a pen. I can barely do that when I'm, like, you know, having a mild panic attack. You know, like, I can barely write on a good day. And she was able to do it. It was just amazing. Um, the surgery itself took three hours. Which is amazing fast. in and of itself. They needed to act fast because of the the yeah. throat area and the bowels. The surgeon, um, Angelov, he went through and painstakingly, meticulously cleaned every square inch of her intestines with both his hand and, like, brushes. Like, he got in there. He was able to get all of the debris out. Wow. 
all of it. Amazing. All of it. And, like, okay, a normal surgery, it's so common for normal surgeries to have um, bacterial bacterial buildup, um, complications later. It's very, very common, especially, like, on... In the abdominal abdominal area to get um, infections that will set in, and life-threatening infections um, could definitely kill you, for sure. She never got one. Wow. Throughout all of this, I just think that was one of the biggest miracles that happened. Um, This, all of this, all together, the fact that the arteries, the nerve endings didn't get severed, her lungs and heart didn't get punctured, um, it's just like the combination of all of these things going through the surgery and realizing like all of these little tiny miracles that happened all over her body it really did change their perspective on things. And, like, like it's really hard for me to, to nail down, like, I believe in miracles or not, you know? Like, it's really hard for me to say that. But after this case, it, it makes me think. It yeah. really does. The next morning um, after her surgery, police arrived to the hospital to speak with Allison. Investigators introduced themselves to Allison after being briefed by the doctors about her condition and everything like that. They were amazed at her ability to respond um, to all of their questions and, and all of that. Um, you know, her eyes were wide open. She was completely responsive. And she was able to write her responses down on paper. Um, the investigators asked her if she saw a photo of her attackers, would she be able to identify them? And she said, yes, of course. So they brought her a binder full of suspects, um, just a bunch of criminals in the area. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And most of them were people with prior, like, assault records and everything like that. She very easily identified Franz and Tien's. She, when she got to Franz's photo, she took a piece of paper and wrote Franz on the piece of paper. And then when she got to Tien's, she did the same. She wrote his name and gave it to the officer. Franz de Tuit and Tien's Kruger had both prior rape charges and the police knew them. The police couldn't stand, like, they were already on the police's radar. And honestly, whenever one of the investigators, like, first saw Allison and first heard of what happened his first instinct what it was it had to have been these guys they were already they were already like in the middle of um rape allegations and going through a trial already um the police were satisfied with you know the evidence that they had gathered from allison's interview and um they left they came back a couple hours later because they had given their information to the prosecutor and the prosecutor said that it would make the case better if Allison spoke the names of her perpetrators. I am frowning. I am mad. I am fucking furious. And I'm so glad that everything happened okay the way it did. Um, But this is literally like three maybe four hours after a surgery can you give her a minute a major fucking surgery um these doctors went through everything to save her life and now you want to take a tube out of her throat she's gonna hurt her 
it's gonna collapse all of that shit. You know what I mean? Like they had to reconstruct everything. You want to take that tube out? Out of a fresh wound, just so you can get the satisfaction of her verbally saying it. Writing is still a part of verbally announcing your attacker. Like it's the same fucking yeah, that's thing. Dumb. It makes me so mad. Um, but they, so the investigators came in with this. They didn't want to do it. It's just what the prosecutor said. So they go to the doctors and they're like, "Look, this is what is the deal." And obviously the doctors are furious, but um, Allison signed the consent form. It's Allison's say. Yeah. And so the investigators go to Allison and they, the doctors kind of tell her, you know, what would happen if this is done? Um, how, like, like what they had to do in order to get her to be able to speak. And she takes a piece of paper and she says, do it. Wow. Take it out. Badass. I know. And so they did. They, they took it out. She had no hesitation at this. Like, she was just like, no, fuck it. Take it out. And the second the tube came out of her throat, she goes, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and I just, I just, I just love her. I love her for that. That's amazing. Um, but immediately after, you know, feeling that, she, she said, Franz and Tians were my perpetrators. Bronze and Tians attacked me. And that was it. Police um, showed up at Franz and Tian's apartment. And they were in the middle of cooking breakfast because they were hungover from partying all night. And they were using the knife that they had used on Allison to cut up like the meat and vegetables and things that they were cooking. They still had it out. They were using it. And like when investigators came in, like one of the investigators, like can't even drive by that apartment complex because all she can think about is that bloody knife that still had Allison's blood on it. And they're just fucking cooking with it. You know what I mean? Fucking monsters. Disgusting. And yeah, they had, they had partied their asses off that night, like in celebration. I don't know how you could, but you know, whatever disgusting um but they the police brought him into the station read them their rights and then told them that they were being arrested on rape and attempted murder charges when they heard that attempted murder one of the investigators said that you could have knocked them over with a feather ha mm-hmm. love it um one of them asked for the officer to clarify like um attempted murder and the officer just looked at them and said Allison survived and they knew then and there that they were they had it you know? it was hosed yeah yep Franz was stunned and he said well there's nothing I can hide from you so I'll obviously tell you everything he takes a ring off of his pinky and puts it on the table he said that's Allison's still covered in her blood he took it as a trophy mm-hmm. didn't even wash his fucking hands didn't even wash his fucking hands um now, it was a very common law practice at the time to, during an identification parade, um, during a lineup, it was law at the time that the victim had to walk behind her assailant, put, I say her, I'm sorry, them, walk behind their assailant and put their hand 
on their shoulder and pose for a photograph to therefore like further solidify like I am Ooh, I don't know what asshole thought that dumb shit up. Um, They realized that in this specific moment, they could not do this to Allison. No. They shouldn't have ever done that to anybody before her, but Allison was the very first case in South African history to implement the one-way mirror. Oh, good. Yes, yes. Which, I mean, is so traumatizing in and of itself. Well, sure, but um, it's better than having to touch them. Yes. I can't imagine. I can't I either. cannot. Um, yeah, fucking disgusting. But, yeah, she, she said that they look different, um, I'm assuming, like, in the daylight. But she pointed them out and immediately identified which one was Franz and which one was Tien's. Um... Now, her friends wanted to come visit, obviously, but they had to wait a few days in order for, you know, her wounds and everything to settle and heal. Um, when they did finally get to see her, her, her friends and colleagues, um, two of them entered the room and, uh, like, audibly gasped when Allison looked at them because her eyes were still just so, so red, so bloody from all of the um, hemorrhaging that had happened. And she saw her friends gasping and and worried and everything like that. And she called out to them. She's like, it's all right. I didn't even break a nail. Oh, girl. She held up her hand and it's just a bloody mess. Her friend said that, that every nail was broken. Like every part of her body was injured. But it just goes to show you that level of um, just respect for other people that she has. She she always, like, jokes around that, you know, she did this for, you know, she does a lot of things for other people and not for herself. And that just goes to show you, like, who she is right here and right now. Like, she's not even worried about herself and her injuries. She's worried about how her friends, her friends are taking it. Yeah. And that's, that's just part of her character. She's an amazing woman. Um, and you know, we, t- I, I want to make this clear all throughout survivor month and I'll probably say it every episode. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, there's no moral failing in someone who does not survive. An no, attack. absolutely. It is not because they weren't strong. Mm-hmm. It's not because they didn't fight. It's not because they gave up. Yes. I don't like that kind of no. fucking rhetoric. No. She's brave because she faced death and, and came back. Mm-hmm. Anybody's faced death and come back is brave. Right. I've done it. Right. Absolutely. But that does not say but that. But it doesn't mean the people who face it and don't come back aren't brave. They just can't tell their story. Exactly. They're just exactly. as brave. Exactly. Maybe braver because they went to the great unknown. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and yeah. I think that's why, you know, we we are a true crime podcast. This month we are focusing on survivors. But as far as our podcast is concerned. It focuses on victims. Yes. I mean, we're all they're all, they're all victims but yeah it focuses on people that don't get to say yeah that don't get to share their story well, i'm including the survivors with it too absolutely they're victims yeah. just as much as survivors mm. but it's just like when somebody says they lost their battle with a disease no they no. didn't that's no. dumb and i hate it yeah they didn't yeah. give up yeah they didn't lose it's not because they're not strong 
my God. Yeah. Y'all, yeah. it takes some guts to die. I ain't even playing. Yeah. Okay. It sure does. I'm scared ass didn't want to. That's why I'm still here. Absolutely. <laughs> I, know. I was like, I've done I some know. shit. I don't know where I'm going. No, but I just want to make that really clear before Same. we, and yeah. I will, I will reiterate this every episode. It really is. It really is uh, a necessary point to make yes. that there's not a dichotomy here. We're going to celebrate their this stories that. because they're good stories mm-hmm. and they have, they have good points in them. Absolutely. Um, and good lessons. But and like, a lot of, a, a lot of us, I mean, we are, and a lot of our listeners, I'm assuming, are survivors also survivors too. as well. We've and so we need it. We yeah. need camaraderie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their stories are just as important as the voiceless. So Absolutely. we're just going to take a, some time to honor them, too. So moving right along. I just wanted to yeah. make that clear. That, that has been in the forefront and the back of my mind this entire research. Um, so I'm glad that you I'm glad that you made that point. Um but as far as Allison's recovery process goes, like aftermath, um, after the surgery and, you know, she got out of the hospital a few days after her surgery. Um, when Allison talks about pain and talks about recovery and, um, she says that when she thinks of the word healing, she thinks of pain. Yes. Same girl. It's pain. It is pain. Recovery is pain. It sure fucking is. It is a painful process and it doesn't end. Never Nobody does. is ever fully recovered. No. No one is ever fully healed. If you've ever had a traumatic injury in your life, that shit don't work the same way it used to. No. And that's both physical, mental, all it's of all it. Your spiritual, soul, it's whatever. down to your, like, the molecules mm-hmm. of your being. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, she says that just like exercise, you know, we get stronger, the weights seem lighter, but the weights aren't lighter. You're just able to carry them better. That's right. And that's 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 the point right there. Is I that, like that. Mm-hmm. Is they, they are still just as heavy as the day they are placed there. You're just able to hold them more. Exactly. And so when we do have these days, because she, she mentions it, she has these days, we all have these days. Can't even imagine. Where, you know, the weights seem just as heavy as they were the first moment they were placed on us. We go right yes. back to that moment. Many you know? times. And it can happen out of nowhere. That is how PTSD works, friends. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, again, reiterating, don't ever think that you are not strong. Look, you are on a spinning rock in the middle of fucking space piloting a meat suit. Yeah. Fuck off. Everybody's strong. Even people yeah. I don't fucking like. This shit sucks. Yes. It's an existential nightmare. Absolutely. We don't even know what happens when it ends. So we yeah. cling to this bunch of bullshit as hard as we can, and it just hurts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are good points within it, too, because some days you can carry the weight, and some days you can help somebody else carry the weight. Right. And that's nice. Right. You know, there's love and joy and learning things and pretty pretty sunsets. Mm -hmm. And there's a chicken fried steak I had for dinner, which was fucking awesome, I might add. (laughs) So we lived to eat another chicken fried steak. Yeah. And give a big middle finger to those who tried to end us. Which feels nice, I would like to add. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Every day is a middle finger to people who tried to fucking end my ass. Mm -hmm. I'm a cockroach, good luck. Mm -hmm. Cut my head off. I'm still living off, like, what's inside the cap of a toothpaste (laughs) bottle. Fuck you. That's how I feel about survival. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, But Allison, throughout, so, like... Unlike a lot of our stories, she has an active trial 
like a like a, a court of law trial that she has to go through while Ooh. physically recovering from these Lord, injuries. I that's I was just thinking of that. So when I say that the in 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 um, true crime cases that you know there's there's a fatality, you know you have you have the corpse as evidence. She is evidence. She, her body is walking evidence. And evidence has to be collected constantly. Oh, so her. every single day after these surgeries, after she's sent home, every single day, she not only has to go to the hospital to get her injuries. Physical therapy. Mm-hmm, she also has to go to various police stations. And submit evidence. Mm-hmm. So... Um, when she goes to the hospitals, um, they have to go in every single day and scrape those wounds. They have to go in and scrape them to stimulate new cell growth. I can't imagine that pain. Just every single day, you don't get to rest. Mm-mm. And um, and so they're doing that. They're reopening these injuries. Um, horrific pain. And then she has to go and get photographs taken of her injuries by the police every single day. And these are sometimes different police officers, sometimes different investigators. She's not wearing a lot of clothes or this is the, Yeah, that's the thing is like her injuries are on her pubic area. They had to take different hair samples from her pubic area, meaning they had to pull out hairs with the root. You know, it's just so invasive. It's degrading. It's it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's painful. It's scary. Yeah. You just get assaulted like that, and then you have to see more men, more strange men have to look at your body. It, <laughs> re-traumatizing every single day afterwards. Can't even imagine. Um, But luckily she did have her mother. Her mother um, was, you know, kind of an empty nester at this point. She really enjoyed having somebody, like especially her daughter who she loved so much, um, being able to care for her and that through this time. So it was kind of like the mother and the daughter needed each other. Um, But yeah, her mom had to help with the dressing of the wounds, help bathing her, all of that. And she did an amazing job. I'd say out of that whole experience, that's that's the only place she got lucky. Mm -hmm. And she had a good mama. She had a good mama. Because I'll tell you, when you are hurt real bad, that is the first person Mm -hmm. you want. And if you don't got that, it Mm -hmm. sucks. Amen. Mm -hmm. Um, Leading up to the trial, Franz tried to throw the courts by saying that he was, drumroll please, possessed by demons. We ain't buying that. A demon and a daemon, he said. Um, he said that he... I mean, had, there is a difference, to be fair, but... I know, yeah. but he's like, I got both. Stupid. Um, <laughs> he said that he had sex with a witch, and she filled him with evil spirits, and that's why he killed the girl. He sacrificed her. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, a bunch of bullshit. He asked them to perform an exorcism on him, um, but when he couldn't get the names of the demons inside of him correct, like he kept fucking up on their names, um, they obviously realized, I mean, they knew he was bullshitting, but when that happened, they are like, okay, buddy, <laughs> no exercise for you. And so, yeah, they threw that out. But... Um, 
on the way to court, uh, throughout the Allison documentary, one of the investigators, his name is Melvin, um, he's kind of a badass. Uh, he doesn't take any shit. And he really had it out for these two because he was involved with the other cases, the other rape allegations as well. Um, they were... Uh, they were actually in the middle of a trial for a, a rape and assault of a pregnant woman. Um, and it was because of these other women that came forward. That's why they decided to kill Allison prior to even finding her was because these other ones didn't get away. And so the next victim they had to kill. So I just, the fact that she survived just it, it feels like it almost like all women. of these women, all of the women, the, the women that could have been and the women that were. It was kind of a collective. Yeah. You know, they really did kind of team up together without realizing it. Um, but Melvin said that the investigator said that on the way to court, uh, whenever he was ex- escorting them, he didn't put them in handcuffs. He said you, he, he told the, the two men, he said, you will see that I'm not going to handcuff you. I'm doing that for a reason. I want you to run. Make my day. He told them that oh, he, yeah, that he would not hesitate to shoot them and that basically he'd love a reason to shoot them. I mean, that's fucked up and not how police should operate. But, but I terrifying. It. I get it, though. Like, that is scary. Yeah. Um, he said later in the interview that um, he... he doesn't even like to hunt he hates guns like he doesn't like hunting this is not something that was like you know something that he would wanted to do but he was like but he was like with these guys yeah i wanted to kill them i wanted to kill them for sure which i get i get that i get that feeling um the nordhoek rape er, the nordhoek ripper trial was known um like it was almost like an instant overnight like yeah. headliner. Um, it was a very high profile case, and it was to this date one of the most high profile cases in South Africa, and um, and it made legal history. Like it was a really big deal. Franz de Toit and Tians Kruger pled guilty to all eight charges, including kidnapping, rape, and attempted murder. Judge Chris. Jansen found them guilty on all charges and sentenced them life to prison, life in prison. At, South Africa at this time did not have uh, the death penalty. They found it unconstitutional. Um, but the judge said that if they had it, he would have given it to these men. And he was not in favor of the death penalty. Um, so he put on their prison record that they were a threat to society and that they should never, under any circumstances, be let out. Well, I agree with that. Um... And it was the only time in that judge's career, Judge Jansen, it was the only time in his career that he ever did that. It was not something that he did. He, you know, he was one of the many down there that believed in reform and, you know, all of that. So um, August 7th, 1995, Francis Twitt was sentenced to three lifetime sentences without parole. Uh, Tians Kruger was sentenced to one life sentence and 25 years with no parole. Franz's father, um, he was a police officer. He couldn't handle what his son had done. And two years of battling this after the trial, he took his own life. Yeah, I don't know what I would do if my kid did something like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. I can't not. even think of it. Not honestly. even for a second, no. Um, 
and and that's something in the background of a lot of these stories that my heart does go out to a lot of these families mm-hmm. when I, on both sides you know like you don't written mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of question of nature versus nurture yeah yeah but even yeah. so uh even making mistakes as a parent like we'll hear about addict parents who are abusive you can do all that and turn it around i just can't imagine i can't imagine what i would do Mm-mm. it's too horrible to contemplate yeah um <clears throat> after the like after the trial after the ridiculous amount of physical healing that Allison had to go through um in her recovery next came the emotional and mental recovery um besides the physical pain that she went through she said that the media attention was the worst part for her which i feel that wholeheartedly yeah, i can understand um i don't like all eyes on me if we ever do a live show oh my god i'll be a nervous wreck and she even said that like like um speech class in school um she had a different word for it but she said that like doing speeches in school was like the most like terrifying thing to her which same girl um she definitely didn't like speaking in crowds. She fell into a depression, like we all do. Um, and after a while of going through this very severe depression, she took a step back. And I had a very, very similar experience, too. Um, but she took a step back and she realized that this darkness that she was feeling, this was them this was them having an effect on her still to this day um she said that that moment the night of her attack that she had chosen life this is all her words um but she said that ever since then she wasn't choosing life like she had chosen life in that moment but afterwards she was really choosing to stay in the moment of her attack mentally she was still mentally staying in her attack and that she needed to focus, shift her focus on the living part, the part of her life where she needs to live. And she said that shifting her focus is what got her to snap out of it. And right around this time that she's starting to kind of climb her way out of this depression, kind of shift her gaze on looking at, you know, the the miracles in life, the good things in life, the things that she has, for, like, things to look forward to. In the middle of this, she gets contacted by the local Rotary Club. The Rotary Club wants her to come speak and, and talk about um, her survival story. To them, they've just seen her in the public eye. They think that, oh, she's just like this really brave survivor. She won't have a problem talking to us about it. This was one of the biggest moments of her life. She was terrified. This was so scary for her. But she didn't want to let anybody down because that's who she is. And so she went. And she spoke. And she she said that she had to pull herself up by her bootstraps and go to that recovery meeting. And I can't tell you how many times I had to do that too. Um, and after, after she told her story, she felt better. She let it out. She felt better. And she started to realize that she's touching people's lives with this story, that this is doing good things in people's lives. And she never stopped she is now a very popular and influential motivational speaker. She's traveled all over the world. She's been to 30 countries so far, sharing her story, helping countless people through theirs. She has won awards. She's written books. She's done that documentary. 
she's even she even goes to places of like political trauma um places where like large amounts of people have seen some really traumatic events like 9-11 and she'll go and talk to survivors that have gone through these things and and try to help um she has this what she calls the abcs um and it's her abcs of how to deal with trauma and she says very specifically that this isn't just for the big ones the big traumatic events she's talking about the little stuff too the little things throughout our lives to get us through she says our abcs are attitude belief and choice attitude take responsibility for your attitude for how you are nurturing yourself and your own uniqueness to focus on you, not anybody else, just you. That's it. Don't focus on anybody else. And then she goes into belief, belief in ourselves, belief that, that, that we can do it. And I know this is one of the hardest ones. Um, but she says that, that, Belief in ourselves is a powerful tool at our disposal every day of our lives, and yet many of us wait only for when it's the worst situations to activate that. And I think what she did was she took that moment of her life and realized, oh, I can do it. So the little things, that the hiccups throughout the day, the little things that we really like take resentment on ourselves for, she's like, no, 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 I did it. So I can do it again, and I can do it through the little stuff too. I don't need to beat myself down anymore. And then she says, choice. We cannot control what other people do and what they do with their actions. We cannot let their actions define us. That we need to, we choose to take responsibility of our own choices from here on out. We, we get to make the story from now on. They're not making our story for us. We're making our story from now on. And the way that she utilizes these ABCs is very... Um, it's detaching ourselves from the people that hurt us and giving our own power back. It's very focusing on taking the power away from the negative. And I lives. definitely appreciate that for her and anyone who can do that. But y'all, if you can't, Oh, absolutely. Because okay. PTSD, you can't really control your response. No. And it can sometimes take many, many years, yes. many, many years of yes. therapy. Yes, yes, So, um, yes. So I'm just saying that because uh, no amount of positive thinking, choosing, or believing in myself helped my post-traumatic right. stress disorder. Right, right, And that's her mode. Yes. And that's and cool I'm, I'm quoting her. her from yeah, her. I know you're, I yeah, I know you're quoting her. Yeah. But I don't, I personally don't believe just having a good attitude is going to fix fucked up brain chemistry right. from a traumatic event that happened Absolutely. To you. So I'm just saying this not to down her at all. Mm -hmm. She has an amazing story, but just to empathize with anybody listening who no matter the positive attitude, you still get the flashbacks. You still have the depression. Yes. It's yes. not your fault. It's completely natural. And it's and out of your hands. And yeah, that's yeah. just how one person dealt with it. And the shoe don't fit everybody. Right, yeah. right, right. But that's what she, like, that's what she, um, that's what her motivational speeches are mostly about, are those ABCs. And I do think there is some truth to taking control and power back for yourself. And I think that there is power in words and just speaking on it, even if it's not applicable at the time, having that voice, having somebody use those words and maybe storing it in the back of your mind that when you are facing these issues in life you can think back on it absolutely just don't use it to hurt yourself if you can't because your brain ain't cooperating absolutely not not your fault absolutely not now something that because i have her all of her stuff linked in the description and everything like that um 
I noticed that she, when she signs her name, there's a butterfly. When, like, on, on her documentary, there's butterflies. There's butterflies everywhere. She'll wear butterfly shirts. Everything has butterflies. And um, she talked a little bit here and there throughout the speeches as to, like, why she uses the butterflies. Obviously, we got metamorphosis and, and things like that. Change. Changing from one spirit. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she, in one of her speeches, she went into detail about how um, not just the transformation of caterpillar to butterfly, how you literally become goo and, like, they disintegrate. And then they have to, like, rebuild themselves from there. But she talks about how, like, when a butterfly emerges from the chrysalis, how they have to take these very delicate wings that are soaking wet, which, you know, wet paper is easier to tear. These delicate wings have to be meticulously unfolded, right? Mm -hmm. They have to unfold their wings. And this is such a delicate process that so many butterflies don't even make it through this, you know? And, And it's painful and it hurts, but um, beauty comes from it eventually. And, and um, she, she just has a really beautiful way of, of taking the dirt, the pain, the yuck, the gross of life and almost like alchemizing it and just making it something better and making it useful. Um, and she really did use what happened to her to now have a purpose in life. She said that she said that before she didn't really feel much. And then after this happened to her, she feels like she can do something now. She, she has something. And she went on to get married. She later on divorced and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, she married and had two children, even though her reproductive system was completely butchered and doctors told her she would never carry a child. Oh, that's rad. I'm glad she, she was able to. She went on to birth two children. Her second child was birthed by Tian Aylard, the guy that saved her. Oh, that's cool. He went on to become a doctor, and by the time he was able, she was ready to give birth, and he helped birth that child. And I just think that that is so beautiful. Um, before we leave, I do just want to um, say that in 2015... The laws changed in South Africa, and they now allow all prisoners to have parole hearings every two years. So, teens and friends, um, every two years, they are deemed eligible for parole. Um, Nobody has let them out, obviously. Um, They've barely even gotten any actual hearings since then. But there is a petition. There's two petitions in the description. Um, One is a petition to end that in South Africa, like that whole thing. Um, But using using Allison's case as an example. And there's another petition to sign just for um, Allison's perpetrators to stay behind bars. I would be fine linking that one. The other one I do agree, you should be able to have as many paroles, like hearings as right, possible. Right, right. If your case is solid, shouldn't be a problem. Right, right. Um, is it traumatic for victims? Yeah, absolutely. But, like, especially... But there are so many people wrongly convicted. But this is, mostly, this is mostly with sexual assault criminals. Um, the, the, the website that I linked for that petition has 
like a huge readout. Um, South Africa is facing extreme sexual assault violence right now. Like, like yeah, the statistics are really, really, really bad. And so that's what it's focusing on is because these people are not get, getting reprimanded enough. And so they just continue to perpetrate. Yeah. So um, that's what that's about. But all the links are there. You guys can read up on it. Yeah, make Allison's, your own decision on that one, please. Definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, but Allison's website is in there. Um, the the Allison documentary, y'all have to watch. It is beautiful. Very well done. Very moving. I watched it at least three times the past two days. So um, definitely give it a look. And, uh, yeah. Oh my God, Allison. She's amazing. Um, I also linked a bunch of videos of her speaking, so you can kind of um, hear from her all about <clears throat> her story and uh, recovering processes and things like that. So Cool, and I will yeah. be sure to link all those. And again, join our Discord. Thing. Definitely. Let's talk about this more. Um, let me know what you guys yeah, think. Yeah, I definitely want some feedback on stuff like this, what yes. you guys think, what, what, what helps you in your recovery. Right. Stuff like that. Right. That's what I, kind of stuff I want to hear, if you're not right. too triggered by talking about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And but I'm, you'll find support there, too. We're there to, to offer an ear, you know? Yeah. I want to hear your story. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do a show about it unless you want me to, right. but I definitely want to hear your stories if it helps event. if it helps yeah. mm -hmm. but we love y'all thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time good night find us on your social media platform of choice linktree slash cruelty has all of the links check out our patreon for exclusive episodes merch ad free episodes live ghost hunts and much more please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie B.